Hey, Bob WP here, and welcome to Do the Woo, the WooCommerce Builder Podcast. This show is brought to you by Nexus. Manage hosting plans that keep Woo shops powerful, profitable, and error-free. And PeachPay with their Streamline Express Checkout. I'll tell you more about our pod friends later in the show, but let's get started as we go into another Woo Visions with Ronald and Kathy as they chat with John Maida, technologist and designer. John takes us into his thoughts on diversity, design, and yes, speaking machine. But it even goes further than that, including his own experience having worked at Automatic for three years, dipping his toes into WordPress and WooCommerce. Hello, I'm here joined again with my co-host Cassie, and we're talking to John Maida. Hi, John. How are you? Hello, Kathy and Ronald. Good to see you here. Pleasure to meet you. Or hear you here, I guess, if this is a podcast. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, we see each other, so it's... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Um, John, you have a fascinating background. There are so many keywords that um, are linked to your name. We talk design, machine learning, um, security, uh, and the way more automatic. So... I'm not quite sure where to start with you, but maybe you'd like to introduce yourself a little bit where you are now and maybe some of the key uh, projects you've worked on in the past. Yeah. Uh, Well, I'm Chief Technology Officer of Everbridge. We are a risk management uh, infotech company. And um, that's been for the last two years because um, I, I felt this pandemic thing like all of you. And... I felt like, wow, I want to get closer to the dark parts of the stack. Well, not even not just um, cybersecurity, but just physical security. And but if you want rewind back, I was an automatic. I love woo woo, and uh, uh, I was at Publicis uh, working on digital transformation. Before that, I was in the Valley. Um, where I heard about remote work for the first time and then wanted to work at Automatic. Uh, that was a wonderful three years. And uh, I've just been like uh, trying to learn like us all. I think that's the neat thing about the WordPress ecosystem. Learning is appreciated. Yeah. Um, your time at Automatic, was that the first time you uh, worked on um, open source or did you contribute um, before that? Well, I've been like writing code before we had that term open source. We just like gave it away <laughs> to each other. <laughs> so I, I remember that. And I used to uh, I, uh, I used to work at MIT where I would see like Richard Stallman, the, the open source goat. And uh, so I was like part of that world, but never really part of a project. So when I learned that WordPress is like this wonderful forest that grows all over the earth, and it connects so many people across so many different interests. Like there's a squirrel, there's like a acorn, there's a big tree, there's a palm tree. <laughs> it's like a, it's such a diverse ecosystem. Yeah, it's nice how you put a, a different view on on, on WordPress. Um, your time at Automatic, what uh, what? What did you do there and what influences did you have on what may be currently still active? 
Oh, well, I, I, I don't think I did anything at all. I just uh, did my job to corral people, maybe kind of nudge them to do different things. But I like to note that such incredible people. When you have such good people, you don't really have to do anything but get the pizza. So I think that just seeing Gutenberg like come out of the ground. And then I remembered I was at a WordCamp where there were two theme developers who were really upset because if you remember at the time, it was going to change their whole business model. And then they were really mad at me because they felt that I had a part of it. So we had a long conversation in the hallway at a word camp, and in the end, we hugged each other. So <laughs> there was that. Um, so getting to watch that come out of the ground was, it was a lesson in resilience. Because uh, the WordPress world, you know, and it has different camps, and Matt is really the mayor of that entire world. And I like how he, he doesn't push, he just kind of nudges. And so that nudging is uh, what I did for the uh, design space. Yeah. And also I was passionate about inclusion because when I was in the Valley, I could see the disparity. And so Matt was so kind to uh, let me push it even further. Um, Inclusion as a sort of theme in tech in general. And uh, we got a lot of early work done in that space, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, in one of your WordCamp talks, you talked about diversity diversity of ideas and how that fosters more innovation. Could you speak to how you saw that happening at Automatic? Yeah, well, you know, I've been noticing that there's all this great research on diverse boards and diverse leadership teams and all of that. But I got to tell you, like, I was invited to talk to one of the biggest, most important tech companies, this famous CEO and their top 30 reports. And I walked in and then it was all guys and one woman in HR. And I was like, how are you going to tell a successful organization that diversity matters? Because it seems like everything is going okay right now. So to me, that signaled how making the pointer on diversity as more about ideas that can come from people of different ages, different cultural backgrounds, and then gently move into the gender space and the gender spectrum space. Let's go there. Let's gently move into the uh, underrepresented minorities, people of color. Let's go into there. And so I think, I think if, if starting from that larger umbrella is an easier way to begin the conversation. But I remember when I would do that, there would be people who are offended because I'm not taking the the kind of the movement seriously at the at the different sub levels, uh, which I understand because who wants to be microaggressioned really to tears? So, uh, however, my approach was to start at the. It's like a traversing a tree. So I started at the root node, kind of like bread. It was like bread first search versus depth first. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you talked a little bit in one of your talks about um, 
shallow design versus deep design. Yeah. And I'd like to I'd like to unpack that a little bit with you and then also apply that to I mean in the WordPress space a lot of people are just, you know, installing a theme and getting their content in there and boom, all of a sudden they have a site. And and that kind of lends itself towards more what you talked about in terms of shallow design and I wanted to kind of address that sort of in this open source place where you can get free software, you can get free themes, you can get free everything, but does that lend itself to better design? This is a really hard question and problem to answer. So thank you for bringing it up, Kathy, because I've thought about it a lot. I've been wrong in the past too, uh, thinking about it. And then I get like something blowing up at me <laughs> because of what I said. So, you know, you, you get data. It's like user research, right? So like, oh, okay, maybe not. Don't say that. Oh, okay. How about that? Oh, well, no one really cares. Oh, don't say that. So um, the the problem with shallow design is it, it makes people feel that the people who do the decorative work as shallow. I'm not shallow. I've trained to make the CSS like work this way with a flex box. And I mean, like, come on, that's not shallow just so that it kind of like flips around, you know, and then I'm not shallow. I, I, I care about the typography, you know, so what if it isn't performant? Actually, a problem, as we know. But, but, but you know, like, this is me expressing myself. And so shallow design is probably a, a misframing on my part. It is the, and then I would move to decorative design, which some people can't stand, but there are an incredible number of decorative designers who are proud of illuminating manuscripts. Uh, which I think is kind of what CSS sort of is. It's like illuminating a manuscript, either both visual and underneath. So I think it is a decorative in all the good ways you would say that. I think deep design, however, is going into the core of how it works. You know, you mentioned your background, Kathy, in security. Like, that's great. Wonderful theme. Uh, but did you design it to be secure? And it's like, no, I didn't, because I don't care, because I'm making this a beautiful website. Hmm. Thank you very much, Kathy. <laughs> that, that, that sort of misses stuff. So yeah. deep design is going to the core and starting in the, in the core and going outwards. I think shallow design starts from the outside and tries to sort of dig in. I think both approaches are dependent upon how much budget you have and who's on the team. Yeah, it almost seems like the shallow design is, is designed almost as an afterthought. It's like, well, we want to develop this thing and we want it, to, of course, to look beautiful. But deep design is almost like design first. Like, what are we trying to do here? It's like design, like in, like with security, it's baked in like from the beginning. All of the ingredients include security, it includes design, it includes design that kind of dovetails to the user experience. I love how you have kind of pinpointed the challenge because if you are engineering first and you built the bridge and the bridge stands in the wind, it's like, oh my gosh, the bridge works. It's like, okay, now, now let's make it like less bumpy. <laughs> let's, let's, let's make it so more cars could go through, you know? So that's kind of like the, the shallow design, which is very important, has become an afterthought. Um, that is common because building the bridge is hard stuff. But I think that 
I mean, I'm so moved by the WordPress community because it really taught me how great customer support, happiness engineering. You know, if it's hard to understand, a happiness engineer will make you happy so you can understand what you didn't understand. And now you know how to build a bridge, what metal to pick. And next time around, when you're asked to do shallow design, you're going to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think you're missing a security first piece of steel sort of in, in it. And like, whoa, where'd that come from? Well, that's because I'm a deep design person. That's some interesting thoughts there. Um, love to. Can I, can I take that one step further and, and sort of bring it back to some e-commerce? Yes, I love to do that. E-commerce use cases. So, for example, am I right to uh, suggest that uh, a customer might come up with uh, a brief or a very shallow design. It's it's how it looks, what the customer would, would see. And the agency developer would take that brief, but actually take that a step further into functionality. Is that, that how I should translate that? Um, well, if you're going to go there and you're bringing the customer, that then it starts to change. Because now if you're doing it for open source and the good of the ecosystem versus I have a paying customer, you know, I want to make a living. Oh my gosh. I remember I was at a meetup in Miami with Matt and then Matt like got up and did his thing talking about stuff. And then I was sitting in like the second row and there were two people who, you know, I'm not sure how you categorize people older or younger, but they were definitely not Gen Z. And after Matt like gave his talk, uh, the woman got up and said, Matt, because of you, me and my husband are retired, can now make extra income thanks to how the WordPress ecosystem helps us do this kind of work. And I remembered like, wow, it's like a WordPress feeds so many people, right? So going back to the customer, the problem with the engineering first approach is that you haven't talked to the customer. You're fighting physics, and the physics defy your gravity. So you defy gravity and build that airplane. You did it. Amazing. And then you're like, maybe I'll put some paint on it. Let's do that shallow design on it. Oh, great. Now I'm going to try to like give it to someone. It's free, easy. But I'm going to like charge money for it? Ah. So I've heard this called supply-side product creation versus demand-side product creation. And so the supply-side method is faulty because if you build it, they will come. The demand-side methodology is asking, well, what do you want? Oh, you want a decorative, ornate, whatever. You're going to pay me for it? You got it. The customer is telling you what they want. And the question is on the supply side, you're saying you're trying to like negotiate supply side and demand side to optimize the relationship. And that's where I think the neat thing about the switch to Gutenberg is it enabled the supply side to make different calculations about what could they make in what amount of time so that I can actually meet the, the demand side desire. And I can be, in many cases, uh, secure by design because before I would like find parts and like hope it works but 
just looking at Kathy, it's like a lot of parts are designed to be used elsewhere now because of the Gutenberg ecosystem. That lets you map supply side, demand side differently. I um, I was not uh, expecting this uh, answer, and I was going to take it uh, sort of if, for example, developers or designers or you know people working in in WordPress yeah. uh, struggle with uh, answering a question or a, a demand or a brief, and to apply some of this mythology to 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 that work. But I have to think about it now. What you've said, it's not easy at all. But incredibly insightful. Well, well, it's um, most of tech coming from the bridge building world. The bridge just needs a piece, a touch of paint, and there you go. But I think that, and when design and design is good at painting, I want to be very clear: there are incredible designers who can decorate your house, who can create things that you want you like to sit in or wear or that's like a real craft but when it's techs involved the technology is no longer static it's like this uh, amorphous thing so there isn't a lot of good sense for people who like to paint the outside of things because this thing inside just changed so I think the WordPress ecosystem, like every part of tech, has a challenge for designers who discovered that, oh, you mean you don't need me to design the UI, the outside. You need to design the UX. And I think that shift um, in the WordPress ecosystem is something that you can see happening over time. However, you always need a good-looking icon. I cannot discount that importance. I'm serious. So there are people who will always be comfortable being UI designers, and there are some who are trying to be UX designers, but engineers cannot tell the difference between the two. (laughs) And that's the problem. Yeah, it's so interesting because the way something looks and feels doesn't necessarily mean that that's your experience of it, right? Um, You you talked a lot about... um, Apple and how how their experience design comes first in terms of how they're thinking about their product. I, I'm really curious, um, you know, as we're talking to a lot of people who are trying to design web-based experiences um, in the commerce space so that there's an immersive experience that gets um, an end user into the place where I have to buy this thing. Um, what kinds of, of thinking could someone who's maybe just getting started doing their first e-commerce project or somebody who's building e-commerce for other people, what types of things should they be thinking about in terms of that kind of experience? Well, um, uh, when I was at uh, Publicis, we created a system called LEAD, L-E-A-D, Light, Ethical, Accessible, Dataful. And so... These four facets are intrinsic to deep design sort of of a product. Light meaning super fast. Everyone loves when it's fast. It's like a thing, right? Uh, E is ethical. Everyone wants to know like the provenance of like, is this good code? Is it secure? Accessible as champion in the WordPress ecosystem, uh, not only for people who have challenges, but there's people like myself who are kind of dumb on some days and can't figure it out, right? 
accessible, easy. And then lastly, my favorite, dataful. Dataful is a word that um, I created because I wanted a word that sounds like beautiful. Like, oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. Like, oh my gosh, that's so dataful. <laughs> so uh, didn't really stick, but uh, it's out there on the internet. But uh, dataful things are ones that use user data, use customer research, uh, use live data to improve. So I think that when you think of e-commerce, ask yourself, is it fast? Uh, what are its ethics? Is it using dark patterns or not? Because sometimes you have to make a buck and that's not good to. Accessible, is it easy and accessible? And dataful, are you just like making this up on the fly and not considering user research or scaled data approaches? Let's lead. That's amazing. I wrote that down. <laughs> very, very helpful. Yeah. I, and I'm going to use the word dataful. That's, that's a beautiful word. Oh, good. It's it's like, that's so dataful. <laughs> yeah, let, let's make sure that gets an entry into the dictionary. <laughs> that's working. Okay. Love it. That's perfect. Hey, everyone. Bob WP dropping into the show for a short break to tell you more about our two pod friends and to thank them for their amazing support. Our sponsor, Nexus, has made some game-changing enhancements to their managed hosting plans. These include WooCommerce Automated Testing, Sales Performance Monitor, and Plugin Performance Monitor to keep you or your client sites powerful, profitable, and error-free. Trust me, we know it as Do The Woo is powered by Nexus. Now, best of all, all of these are free with any Nexus plan, so make sure and take a moment and head over to nexus.net. If you are looking for an express checkout for you or your client's Woo shop, look into Peach Bay. It's customizable and makes it easy to change button colors, text, width, border radius, and a lot more on product pages, the cart page, checkout page, and the mini sidebar checkout. It also has an optional short code that allows you to drop it in wherever you'd like. You can even go further with customizations by adding upsells, cross-sells, and related products, as well as notes, coupons, discounts, and both multi-currency and multilingual options. PeachPay can also work as a supplementary checkout option or as a single payment method. And lastly, you can collect payments through Stripe, PayPal, Google Pay, and Apple Pay with more payment methods coming down the road. It's all there. Just check it out at peachbay.app. Make sure and check out both of these pod friends. And now let's get back to the show. I want to ask you about your, to, well, I want to ask you about AI because you did talk about yeah. that in that WordCamp yeah. talk. Um, yeah. And then lead into how to speak machine because apparently from what you told us in that WordCamp talk about AI, we, we all need to learn how to speak machine. And you have a book about that. I'd like to talk a little bit about what that book, why should people get that book? What are they going to get from it? Um, what inspired you to write it? Um, when I was in the Valley working in venture capital and design was rising, I separated design into three kinds of design. Classical design, my cool glasses, design thinking, organizational consensus driving methods with post-its, and computational design design that uses the cloud, etc. I discovered that everyone understand everyone understood the first two, 
But there'd be a big question mark on people's forehead. Computational design? What is this? So I spent six years trying to explain to myself what I meant by it. And in the process, I ended up in the AI world because computational design, its most refined version of it, is using AI machine learning. Uh, and the problem with AI machine learning, as we know, is it doesn't use code. It uses data. There is no PHP, people helping people. It's just pour the data in and some algorithms and the data that's driving the bus, which is problematic, but also where the world is right now. It is where the, the world is right now. And it, more and more non-technical people are talking to computers than ever before. Um, and I, you know, just in, in looking at the uh, sort of the Cliff Notes version of your book, you talk, a lot of the things that you talk about are things that I kind of grew up with, learning databases at a very young age. I think my uncle tortured me teaching me VisiCalc when I was young. But I, I grew up thinking that way. But now we have more and more people who aren't necessarily, but they're just thrown an iPhone when they're five, right? And yeah. learning what goes on behind that, I think, is so critical for us to understand and to grow into a place where we can communicate better with machines. Um, who is this Who is this book for? Um, who should be reading it? Well, you know, I, uh, I created two personas. Uh, one was Bob, uh, uh, a picture of George Clooney in that uh, movie where he's that business person in Up where he's like flying around, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> kind of like not in a good job. Bob. Uh, Bob is someone who is like in the business world, sales, trying to understand this like digital whatever stuff, doesn't show up at WordCamps, clearly. Um, so he doesn't like understand like what is this stuff? Like what's coming out of Silicon Valley? I don't get it. So uh, that was Bob. Uh, the other was uh, Sandra. <laughs> Sandra was a, a super uh, Marissa Meyer executive, uh, but not in tech, more in the manufacturing space, like just like on the rising track, wanting to understand like what is this stuff happening over in tech? So for both of them, um, I wrote this book to understand the the three underlying physical properties of computation and to understand the three ways it manifests in digital products that are strange, uh, but good to know. Excellent. Um, I wanted to ask also about something you said about hard machines versus soft machines. What does What does that mean? <laughs> well, hard machines are ones that, because um, I came from hardware, and uh, when you make hardware, you can't make a mistake. Like if you ship the chip inside the iPhone and it's wrong, broken, you can't fix it in the field. It's an expensive recall. Uh, soft machines are built out of code and data, and they have different laws of physics. Because as we know, the strangest thing about software is that it makes it hard for design is that you should ship it often and unfinished, which no one would ever do. Like, you know, you're making the perfect iPhone, the perfect whatever, like, no, 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 it's got to be perfect. And then we ship it. Software is like, 
I want to learn. I want to learn, and I want to learn fast. So I'm going to give you, here's a Mrs. Field cookie sample. Is there Mrs. Fields anymore? I'm not sure. <laughs> here's, here's a cookie sampler. Oh, I think I like this cookie. Oh, I don't like this cookie. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I should make oatmeal ginger instead. Versus like making 100 batches of oatmeal raisin and like no one buys it. So I tested it early by standing in front of the Mrs. Field shop. Oh, hello, Kathy, Ronald. Try my cookie. Oh, you didn't like it. Go back in the kitchen. <laughs> so go yeah. fix it. This has got uh, Gutenberg written all, all over it, isn't it? There you go. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So uh, I'm wondering, because I'm now further away from it, ha- has the has the Gutenberg agite like sort of sort of like peaked and, and like is it over is it people <laughs> are enthusiastic they're excited very excited and kathy i mean you know the, the part of your business that you work for is totally around this work totally embrace it so yeah th- what it what it's done and i'm i'm really blessed to, to be working in this space i, I work with, on a project called cadence and it yeah. is a it is a black uh, plugin, basically. It's a theme, but it's Ooh. mostly a black plugin that basically cool. extends Gutenberg. And and the lead developer, the founder, um, basically started saw what Gutenberg was when it was still a plugin, and said, yeah. "I can do, I can run with this." And so there's this whole ecosphere of design product first designers who are building out different blocks and extending Gutenberg into this, this, it's fascinating and it's really cool. And I tell people all the time when, when I first looked at cadence, it changed my relationship with Gutenberg because I was like, okay, I see what we're doing here. (laughs) Wow. That's so great. But now we have like advanced blocks and we have blocks with all these different settings it has wow. opened up this whole ecosphere. And it's not just Cadence. There's um, Generate Blocks. There's yeah. Stackable, Crackle Blocks. There's all of these developers who are now developing new ways of working with blocks. It's cool. Interesting. It's really fun. Uh, so it sounds like in your case, Kathy, you observed that um, maybe there were N theme developers and theme plugin developers, but now there's M. And M is larger now because of Gutenberg, maybe? Has that happened? Sounds like probably. Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of like you had all these page builders like Elementor and Divi oh and all these right, things right, that would right. just like get slapped on top. Yeah. I get confused. There's so many ways to, to, to cook the eggs. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Now you have what's happening. It's sort of this post page builder world where you have blocks and you can have, you can install like four different block plugins if you want to and use different blocks from different block plugins. And it's all based on Gutenberg. So it created, Gutenberg created this platform of innovation of building pages. Innovation. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's been really cool to see and I get yeah. to soak in it every day. So I'm, that's so I'm cool. lucky. Hey, Ronald, are you, are you pro Gutenberg? Are you, are you good with Gutenberg? <laughs> are you very good with Gutenberg. Which, which side are you on? Are you? I am more excited with uh, WooCommerce coming out with many more Gutenberg uh, blogs because I think that's key and that's maybe a nice um, lead into the next part. And please, yeah, I'm excited to talk about, um, uh, e-commerce and 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 design and and maybe oh my gosh my favorite you know your vision and and add a add a flavor of machine learning in there if you like and artificial intelligence this is now what's happen- going to happen in the future and maybe some of your own personal frustrations I uh, like I shared with in that Miami 
um, meetup where the woman got up and thanked Matt for enabling her livelihood with her retired husband to, to sort of thrive. I was like, whoa. So I think of commerce systems as really lucky, terrible word, for the pandemic to have occurred. Because all data shows that the reason why the Chinese were so ahead on mobile commerce is because of their avian virus, all of that stuff before, 10 years ago. And so e-commerce took off because they had to stay at home. And um, also mobile commerce was the norm. So I kind of feel like WooCommerce and different activity around it is key to enabling everyone with a WordPress site or knowledge to be able to to find those customers who really could never figure out how to use a Shopify or whatever. So I like the opportunity, the economic opportunity. Yeah, especially in uh, countries uh, or uh, places in the world with underprivileged users and who, you know, maybe not have access to, to a Shopify platform or don't have to finance. Well, well, and, and, well, and also if you think about the lead, light, ethical, accessible, dataful, ethical, you know, they can look at the code if they want to. And they can sort of judge like, are they using data the right way or wrong way? They have the choice. And so the open source idea is so powerful because you can ask ethical questions about the code because you can change it. Yeah. You could do something about it. You're like, oh my gosh, this code is bad. It's doing bad stuff. Are you going to do something about it? <laughs> I'll use one of Kathy's blocks instead. It's got better provenance. You know what I mean? People can actually ask these questions. And Kathy's can say like, look, look at my block. Look inside. Oh my gosh. There we go. Security by design, zero trust. Okay, I'm good. Yeah, open source is so great in terms of opening up that marketplace of ideas and and marketplace of code where it just the best ideas and the best implementations rise to the top. So it's it's kind of beautiful to see, and I I, I can't wait to see some of the stuff happening with WooCommerce adopting more of that. Well, the, well, the thing that I really didn't know and I was very humbled by by being in the WordPress ecosystem, going to WordCamps going to meetups, just sort of seeing how, in many senses, many of the ecosystems I was participating in before were closed, I would dare say, elitist tech ecosystems. And when I was able to meet so many people in the WordPress universe, in some cases, they were there uh, at the very beginning. There's this pride and it isn't, and it's, it's also international. It isn't like, you know, it's, I was going to say it's American, but it's not. It's like, it's like so international. Um, we did it together. Yeah. And so-and-so has been doing this and they got a better job. So, so they've they got a new job. So I think that job creation aspect of WordPress is, I think, a, one of the most beautiful things out there that I try to tell people and they don't understand because they haven't met the people who make WordPress, the forest. So I wish for someone who's new to this world to go to a meetup and have that interesting moment where it's like a, it's almost more like a, like a church or something. Has anyone ever contributed to an open source project before? Raise your hand. Oh, you haven't. Okay, come on, come here. You're now going to contribute to the open source project. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think it's so cool. Um, there was a there was a moment um, in a, at a, a word camp where I met uh, Mike Little, and uh, he, he shared a really nice story. And I, I, it just falls right into this. But um, it um, so he he joined a meetup, a WordPress meetup, a few years after he started with uh, Matt to yeah. create WordPress. And in the room, it was uh, somebody asked, "How many of you are making a living with WordPress?" Yeah, and then he sort of turned around and saw many, many hands go up, and that was a really humbling experience for him. So I thought it's a nice story to add to this, but it, it's a true, and it's it. I'm personally, my side of the story is exactly the same. It's like such a big deal. Yeah, like even like uh, people in marketing with SEO. I mean, like you don't have to be technical to make a difference to the WordPress ecosystem, but you get to contribute to the tech ecosystem. So that's that's been cool. I mean, that was such a cool thing. Nice, um, John. What are you working on at the moment? What's your uh, what's keeping you awake at night? Uh, well, I'm really interested in I'm interested in how resilience is a difficult thing to achieve for organizations of any scale. That's what I do. Um, but I'm also interested in how important it is that we take notice of the climate which I never thought deeply about until I entered this space of resilience. Like, let me give an example. Uh, it's kind of embarrassing because, like, I didn't know this, but I'm sure you knew this, but I didn't know this. And I'm like, oh, like wildfires. So, uh, Kathy's in the U.S., you've seen wildfires as a thing. Uh, Ronald, in Europe, the U.K., so there's some wildfires, but Spain was, like, lighting up. Okay, so. Yeah. Wildfire is bad, dangerous, end of story. But it's like, why do wildfires happen? Wildfires happen because of something called fuel moisture content, which is an index used to measure if the plants are dry or wet. Because if the plants are dry, fuel moisture content low, it's like catnip for a fire. If the ground is wet, the trees are filled with water, it don't burn as easily. So drought creates conditions for wildfire. And so when we think of the temperature rising, it's like that next step that is logical, but you only get the end part where the fire is coming at you, but it was part of a sequence of Mother Nature. Um, another one, floods. You know, uh, in urban areas, we're terrified of flash floods. Why do they happen? Because we pave the ground with concrete, and there's no place for the water to go. So it's kind of like we made that situation. <laughs> and so seeing the causality is 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 more clear to me now. Mm -hmm. Can I uh, add a variation to your elite and say, please? Um, the E for ethical, maybe also add environment to uh, to highlight that part. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Yeah, mm, that's very nice. Yeah, and what, what are you doing in in your power? What what sort of ideas you want to put forward for people to become more conscious of it, and maybe it's your own clients? Well, the, well, the neat thing about working in the disaster critical event space is you understand a simple fact, and that is that. A bad thing happens. There is time before the bad thing happens and time after the bad thing happens. Bef there's a boom. 
before the boom, during the boom, after the boom. Most of us work on the during the boom fire extinguisher preparation. A few of us work on the before the boom preparation. Like, oh, well, this could happen, that could happen, this could happen, that could happen. And so the reason why data AIML is so interesting is because now you can really kind of get a, you can have a pretty good guess of what's going to happen. And someone said to me, do you mean like Minority Report and Tom Cruise or whatever? Now, think of Farmer's Almanac. <laughs> it's like, wait, it rains this much every year for the hundred years. So, like, so it's like past behavior of the earth and people and election cycles, everything. You have a, we all have a general notion. Like, I have a prediction, Kathy and Ronald, that it's going to get colder in two months in Massachusetts. <laughs> You're like, what, John? That's impossible. Uh, but it's this um, uh, kind of patterns uh, and surfacing patterns to us can help us be ready in the pre-boom phase. That's what I'm passionate about and focused on. Yeah. So much of security is that incident response planning is that. Thank you. Right. Preparing for assuming that bad things are going to happen and then having a plan and an understanding that when the boom happens, you don't have to, that there isn't such a long space between the boom and your reaction to it and that you know where to put the boom in terms of your organization's response to it. Totally. I'm so glad we have a security expert here. This is like, you know you, you know much more than me, Kathy, by the way, just to be very clear. Um, the, the, thing I, the thing I do like about um, this industry is realizing that digital, like your world, Kathy, the calamities are uh, uh, high frequency, right? Because they're robots just like flying through cyberspace and crashing into things. Physical space is slower and there's less data. Uh, cyberspace is like cyberspace. It's the speaking machine world. So I, I, I wish that people understood what, what's in your head, Kathy, to understand that this world of, of cyber is, is like, you know, when I saw Netflix's uh, uh, Stranger Things, I love the upside down world because to me, the upside down world is the world of computation. It's this wizard-like world of impossible things that you cannot see, but you know it's out there. Uh, I think that world is uh, the world that I try to make visible with How to Speak Machine. But it's hard because I don't know what you're talking about, like in Stranger Things. What? A Demogorgon? Ah, right, for sure. <laughs> Someone broke into our what? Where? Show me the the lock, Kathy. (laughs) Wow, what an analogy. (laughs) John, um, I know we we, we could probably talk for many more hours. I've got so many things to to ask you, but because of time, um, I have a a favorite quote, and it's it's a quote um, that suddenly I thought of all throughout this conversation. Uh, and it's, it's a quote by Charles Mingus, and it goes like this, making the simple complicated is commonplace. Making the complicated simple, awesomely simple, that's creativity. And this is because your name all, all over it, because the way you describe things and look at problems and how you, you, you're forcing people to 
to think about this in a creative way to make it simple so you can actually solve something. I really like that. So thank you so much for your um, contribution. Oh, thank you. That's very kind to say. I, I, I've gotten more complex over time, but uh, I do try to simplify where I can. Cassie, you have a final, uh, final thought to share or question? Uh, no, I just that this has been one of my favorite conversations on WooVision. Oh, it was such a pleasure you. to meet you, John, and to oh. ask you some of these questions. Um, I am going to be a, a super fan following you from now on because I really love your thinking about technology and how people interact with it. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you for teaching me new things, too. Hey everyone, thanks again for tuning in to today's show. I'd like to give one more shout out to our two pod friends. Nexus Hosting, where you will get automated testing and sales performance monitoring for either your site or your client's site. And PeakPay, a sleek and simplified express checkout that is fully customizable with an easy way to upsell or add customer incentives to the checkout on your site or on your client's site. You can find them at peachpay.app. Stay in touch with us by going to do the slash subscribe or on Twitter at do the woo. And until next time, keep on doing the woo.